0: Well, here we are, the last book of the Bible, the last chapter, if you can believe that. Mary said to me, uh, we've been in Revelation for about a year. And Alex would add, and the Lord hasn't come back yet. <laughs> and you're right, Alex, and so is Mary. I checked that out, and uh, we actually started, uh, early, well, later part of uh, uh, 2013, but with all the breaks for Christmas, and, and uh, we went to Thailand last year as well for a month. It probably has been approximately a year. But here we are in the last chapter. And uh, I want to remind you of why uh, I was impressed by, I believe, the Holy Spirit to take this journey with you uh, through this book. First, it's all about the Lord Jesus Christ, His glory, being glorified. And uh, He's the one who saved us. He's the one who's coming back for us. And it's all about the glory that belongs to him, that he is going to manifest to the entire world. And by going through this book of Revelation, it was my desire that we would see the Lord Jesus Christ in that glory. And um, John saw him that way. And God wants us to see the glorified Lord Jesus Christ on the pages of Scripture. And that was one of the reasons I went through. Secondly, though, uh, I wanted us to see the unfolding of God's plan from the beginning to the end for all of creation. And then the consummation of that plan, as I said, from the beginning all the way to the eternal state. And it's here in the book of Revelation. We've tracked, for example, this church age in chapters two and three. And, uh, we're in the church age of grace right now. And I believe it's going to very abruptly, very soon end. And when that does, the uh, seven year tribulation begins. And with that, you have, uh, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ stepping forward, taking that sealed scroll from the hand of the right hand of God on the throne. And that is the title deed to this earth. And then he begins begins to break those seals one at a time. And horrific, terrible judgments begin to fall upon the earth. So horrific are they that in a seven-year period of time, more than half of the population is destroyed. That's three and a half billion people gone in that judgment. It's also, we met the Antichrist as well as his number one right-hand man, the false prophet. And uh, it's now Satan's opportunity to establish his one world government to get absolutely in control. And God allows him to do that. And of course, he goes after the Jewish people to annihilate them. He goes after anybody who turns to the Lord. And a great sea of people are added to that uh, half the population that is killed. Because he seeks them, tracks them down, and he executes them. And we saw that in the book of Revelation. But then we saw that uh, the Lord, up in heaven in chapter 19... And the bride is there, and the marriage takes place, and then the bride and the Lord come back to the earth, and there the Antichrist and the false prophet have assembled all the armies of the world together. They're there in that place called Armageddon for the purpose of destroying the Lord when he comes back. And, of course, you know what happened there. He but speaks the word. It's uh, given there in that uh, metaphor, that sword, that great sword that comes out of his mouth. And they're instantly... Slaughtered, And you can read about that slaughter, I think, in Zechariah 14, as well as elsewhere in the Scriptures. And then he takes the Antichrist, the false prophet, casts them alive into the lake of fire where they, are, they will be at that time forever. And then he takes Satan, binds him in the bottomless pit. And then he begins his millennial reign. Millennium means 1,000. Six times that word is used in Revelation chapter 20. And he begins that reign on the earth with his bride and with those that come through the tribulation who uh, survive, that are redeemed. And they enter into that reign as well. And for 1,000 years, it's an incredible time of peace as uh, he fulfills those promises to the Jewish people that he made. And we are there, redeemed, reigning with him in glorified bodies, we who are the church now. And uh, then at the end of that thousand years, Satan is once again released because God has one last job for him to do. It is amazing that all these people uh, that came into the millennium from the tribulation that were saved there and they survived it somehow, they marry, they have children, and they live long, long lives. It says there in Isaiah, for example, chapter 11 and 65 and 66, and they live long lives, have a lot of children, and those children, they give feigned obedience, and even the Psalms talk about that, to the Lord who is here in a perfect environment. But they hate Him. They don't want Him to reign over them. And so Satan is released. He goes out and gathers them. The Bible says "As a sand of the seashore. I mean, you're talking about millions upon millions of people that say, we will not have this man to reign over us. And so they march up against the city Jerusalem. And it says, fire comes down out of heaven and destroys them. And that ends time at that point, as far as I can tell in the Scriptures. Then you're introduced to the great white throne judgment when heaven and earth flee away. And everyone that is at that great white throne judgment, I believe it is the Lord Jesus Christ on that throne. Everyone who is standing before him from Cain all the way to that last person who's born, that has rejected or turned Christ down as their only provision of salvation and eternal life, they stand before Him, they are each one judged, and they're each one cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where they're tormented day and night forever and ever. Revelation twenty eleven 11 through 15. And then we saw, John saw a new heaven and a new earth. And then the new city, the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. And last week we visited that in the what I entitled the message, Welcome Home. What a glorious city. What a incredible thing God has prepared for those that love Him and who belong to Him. And so we moved all the way from Revelation 1, clear through to chapter 21 and down into chapter 22, the first five verses there. And this morning we conclude this book. Verses 6 through 21 of the last chapter of your Bible, the last book in your Bible, this is the end of written revelation from God. And what does God, what does the Lord Jesus Christ have to say as He concludes His revelation? The whole of the Bible as well as the book of Revelation. And we're going to look at that this morning. I've entitled the message, God's Final Invitation and Promise. Before I get there, though, there's a third reason why I took us through the book of Revelation. And that's because I wanted the Holy Spirit to impress upon me, as well as upon you as you made this journey with me through the book, the hour in which we presently are living. You need to realize, and we've seen that, I think, as we've gone through Revelation, the hour in which we are living. And right at the outset of the book, in chapter 1, verse 3, he says, The time is near. And we've seen the stage already set for the drama of the seven-year tribulation. Israel's become a nation. you got her completely surrounded by the Arab nations. you got Iran and the nuclear problem there with them. And it just goes on and on. And we say, wow, the, has ever this whole world changed in the last 20 years? Would you say an amen to that or do you believe that? I'm just, I'm... I'm I'm staggered. I'm very concerned about my children and my grandchildren. I'm concerned about the young people here in this church because this world has really dramatically changed. And from my understanding, it's going to quickly just deteriorate even more. It is a dangerous, dangerous, deadly time. And we're going to see that. uh, uh, I mean, just one thing after another from here on out, I believe. And so we need to be ready. We need to be ready. We need to be living in light of the Lord's return. Now, that's all over the New Testament. You know that if you know your Bible. But believe me, it's really in the book of Revelation. And I want us to understand that, that the Lord says, lift up your head for your redemption draws nigh. And repeatedly, as we will see today, even our Lord makes us this promise. Behold, I am coming quickly. And we need to be ready and be living expecting Him to come for us at any time. Even John wrote the book of 1 John. He said those that have that hope fixed on Him, what do they do? Purify themselves just as He is pure. They have a hope fixed on Him. And God wants us to have that hope fixed on Him. Well, last Sunday when we got to Revelation 22, five, we came to the end of the main content of the book, of Revelation and what follows verses 6 through 21 would be called the epilogue that's the ending that's the conclusion of it and uh, the book of Revelation began with a prologue in chapter 1 verses 1 through 8 and uh, that would be the introduction of the book and now we come to the conclusion of the book this morning the epilogue in verses 6 through 21 now my question is this how does God how does the Lord Jesus Christ complete his written revelation to us How does he do it? It should be very, very important. It should capture our attention. Well, you have an outline to follow if you want to in your bulletin. And we begin with three major, well, there are three major points of the text here. And that is that we begin with the Lord's final promise. The Lord's, listen, final, final promise. I'm going to read verses 6 through 15 and you can follow along if you want. Verses 6 through 15 of chapter 22. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. For the time is near. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong. And the one who is filthy still be filthy. And let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness. And the one who is holy still keep himself holy. And then Jesus says, behold, I am coming quickly. And my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. The Lord's final promise. Number one, you can fill it in yourself without me saying it. He is coming quickly. He is coming quickly. And God wants to make a very strong impression upon the hearts and minds of those who read and who hear about the contents of the revelation of this book. And here it is in the very last of it, before he puts the last period on and says, that's the end of my written revelation to man. It's the epilogue, the conclusion of what God has to say after giving to John his detailed revelation of future events and how this world is going to end, as well as the beginning of eternity. And what does the Lord drive home? Behold, that grabs your attention, I am coming quickly, not once but three times as he concludes his revelation. Look at verse 12. Behold, I am coming quickly. Down to verse 20. Yes, I am coming quickly. Three times at the conclusion of this book. He emphasized that. You know, what does it take to get one's attention? God should only have to say something one time, but here at the end, the last of his written revelation to man, three times. He stresses that. Well, how are we to interpret these words? I mean, behold, I am coming quickly, Since, especially since it's been now 1,900 years since Jesus said this to John. Uh, personally, I wouldn't say that was very quick, you know, and I'm sure that captures your mind to heart too. Well, perhaps since God says our physical lives are but just a vapor, a breath, and they're gone. And with God, a thousand years are as one day. This is his meaning. Behold, I am coming quickly. If this is the meaning, then 1900 years are only like one and some part of the day. It's only less than two days to God. Maybe that's what he has in mind. I don't know. But uh, since the word quickly is an adverb meaning in haste, the Lord may have in mind that when the entire sequence of events outlined in this revelation begin they will be completed in such a short time resulting in his abrupt return that may be in mind too uh, that his coming will be sudden when it does happen is obvious so this promise behold i am coming quickly tells us he will come both soon and suddenly and the whole emphasis is what be ready be ready And I do, as you know, believe and teach in the imminency of His return. I think that Paul and the other apostles and the new Christians there in the first century, they did not know when He was coming, and they thought, yes, He could come in our time. And so they lived in expectation. And by the way, shouldn't every believer do that anyway? I mean, shouldn't we really... Be in love and growing in this relationship. And we sang a chorus up there about, uh, well, no, it was uh, uh, Gary. You saying that he walks with me and he talks with me and speaks of that fellowship. Should that not be the case in this world system that has gone to pieces, that we have the joy of the Lord and we say, Lord, we're just walking with you and we long for you to return. You'll see that in the text as we move on. But the Lord also pronounces a blessing upon the one who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. This is really the sixth beatitude in the book of Revelation. There are seven of them. And this is verse 7. It's the sixth one there. He says uh, there, and behold, I'm coming quickly. Here it is, the sixth beatitude. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. You know what? To do that, you would have to be familiar with what's in this book. It's amazing how many churches, good churches, evangelical churches, will not open and deal with the book of Revelation. Now, listen, I grant it's not an easy book to deal with. I'll grant that. But here, it's very emphatic from the Lord. We do that. And that's one reason I took you through the journey. Did I get everything right? Probably not. And some of you should say, amen to that. Amen. Oh, there you Thank you. Appreciate it. I was worried where it was. <laughs> Well, there are some mysteries in this book, no question about it. But listen, I'm going to ask this question, and it's not to tum, 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 toot my horn. How many of you were blessed going through this journey with me? Amen. I mean, I was super blessed. I've been through Revelation a lot of times, but this was the best of all to me. I mean, I just say, the Lord, thank you. I said every Saturday, I said, Lord, thank you for letting me do this. This is incredible, the things I see. And, and last week was a super blessing to me. About welcome home, the new Jerusalem. You come this afternoon, we'll talk a little bit more about that. We honor Becky, who went home to be there. But anyway, here he says, this is the sixth blessing. He said, blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. We have to read it and know what's in it in order to do that. Not only that, he started out in the first chapter. Verse 3, blessed is this the first beatitude, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words. You know why? Because they didn't have but one copy at this point. Well, maybe one for every of the seven churches. And so the guy would stand up there and he would read this letter from John and the rest out there would hear it. And he says, blessed are those who hear the words of the prophecy. And what? And heed the things which are written in it. Again, he emphasizes for the time is near." So I really hope that you have been the recipient of this blessing with me as we've made this journey. And some of you have shared that with me and I thank you for that. Number two about the Lord's final promise. He affirms His coming and the consummation of all things in His revelation to John. He affirms it and the consummation of all things in His revelation to John. Going back to verse 6 and He said to me, These words... These words are faithful and true and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show to his bond servants, that's you and me, the things which must soon take place. There he affirms the coming and the consummation of all things in this revelation. What words that are true and faithful? Well, everything the Lord had John write down in this book we call the Revelation or the Apocalypse. When you read this book of Revelation, you can trust its content to be absolutely reliable because it all came from God the Holy Spirit. It's trustworthy. Secondly, he affirmed his coming and the consummation of all things as recorded by John in this book. Why? Because this prophecy and scripture is backed up by the prophets that were sent by God in the past. And we've seen that. We've looked at Zechariah, we've looked at Daniel, there's Isaiah, there's Ezekiel, and there's other prophets there in the Old Testament. And then we've also seen what Matthew, who was an apostle, wrote. We saw what Paul has written and other disciples that wrote Scripture. And we say, wow, it's backed up. It's affirmed. Revelation is affirmed by what these men wrote. This is not guesswork or speculation. It is studying the Scriptures and letting them speak for themselves. Why? Because these Scriptures are from God. He gave it. He protected the delivery of it even to this day. Why do I know my Lord is coming and He is coming quickly? Because Old Testament Scriptures as well as New Testament Scriptures support what John wrote down in this book and that came from God Himself. Well, number three, the Lord's final promise, one's response to this revelation of His coming cements forever their destiny. Look, this is how He ends the book. This is how He ends all the scripture. One's response to this revelation of His coming cements forever their destiny. Look at verses 8 and 9. John has a response here. He's utterly overwhelmed by what this angel showed him about future events. Verses eight and nine, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And by the way, this is the first time since the beginning of the book that he mentions his name. I John. Well, the church knew who he was. He was then the probably the only remaining living apostle who had been with the Lord. I, John, and the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets and of those who heed the words of this book. Worship God. <laughs> worship God. So he becomes utterly overwhelmed by what he saw. And you can understand that. Frankly, in this journey, I've been overwhelmed. I mean, it's been staggering the things that we saw in this book of Revelation. And uh, he bows down in worship before this angel uh, because he's so overwhelmed. And uh, this angel, by the way, we know is one that had one of those seven last bowl judgments. That's chapter 21.9 that brings that out. And by the way, this is the second time that John has done this. So maybe he was a little bit of a slow learner too. Over in 19, verse 10, he did the same thing. And so as a result of that, we see here that uh, the angel gives John a little theology lesson about righteous angels and about worship. (laughs) That's verse 9. Gives him a little theology uh, lesson here. What does he say? He said, listen, we angels are your servants because you belong to God. Isn't that good? When you die, you don't want to talk about that, I know. You're a spirit being. I mean, you're you're physical right now. You have a live spirit, soul. Do you know where heaven is? Have you been there? The third heaven? Well, you say in prayer you have. That's right. But you haven't been there. I think it's interesting in Luke 16 when Lazarus died, what happened? The angels met him. I like that. You never die alone. The Lord never leaves you or forsakes you anyway. But listen, they know where heaven is. I mean, they're on assignments all the time, according to what the scripture says. In Hebrews 1, it says they are ministering spirits set out to minister to those who are going to be heirs of salvation. And they know where it is. And I think that when Becky died instantly, in fact, probably before she even breathed her last, God's messenger was there. Come on, we're going home. And together they went. Now you say, how do you you figure that? Luke 16, that's how. And here, they're ministering spirits. I'll tell you what, it is an angelic warfare, an angelic conflict that God's people are in. If you don't believe that, you need to start talking with one another to see some of the battles you've gone through and going through. Right? The whole Bible is about this great angelic conflict. Satan and all of his fallen angels that you can't see, but they're all over the place. And they're well organized and so forth. And God and his angelic beings as well, that he sends to minister you and me in ways that we don't even understand. But praise God for them. And so it was with John. I, many of you are only alive and here in this service today because of some angelic being that met your need and you didn't know it. Kept you from getting killed. right? That's right. And it will be an amazing thing when you know, talked about judging angels. Maybe this is where we give them their honor due to them when we stand before them that uh, judgment seat or whatever that time will be and say, man, I had no idea what you did for me. I thank you for being right there for me and helping me. And I, Wow. You know? And you know, we're a little lower than angels now, but the Bible says what? In time, we're going to be elevated beyond them. As we're with King Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and our Bridegroom. So he had to give him a little bit of theology, and then he talked a little bit about worship. That he said, look, worship God. Worship God. A lot of people think they're worshiping God when they do their icons and things like this. No, this is God you are to worship, and much more can be said about that. And again, in verse 10, God strongly emphasizes the importance of knowing the content of this book, of the revelation, his last written revelation of mankind, and especially to his church. Look at verse 10. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. Why? The time is near. Whatever that means, God said it repeatedly. The time is near is near. I know one thing he says, in these last days he has spoken to us to his son. So when did the last days begin? When the Lord Jesus Christ came the first time. That's Hebrews 1, by the way. That's when the last days began, when the Lord came the first time here to the earth. So that's how God uh, counts time, if you please. Here we are in the last days, and now he says the time is near. And then what about verse 11? Look at. The last thing the Lord Jesus Christ says in written revelation to you and me. What about verse 11? Let the one who does wrong still do wrong. And the one who is filthy still be filthy. And let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness. And the one who is holy still keep himself holy. What about that verse? Listen, if getting a hold of the unsealed book... The last of the written revelation from God to mankind. Having it available. Having it read. Having it proclaimed. And you already know pretty well what's in there. Even though we might have messed up some of the interpretation. You pretty well know what's in there. We just went through a quick survey of it as it began the messenger. And having had that, if you have that and you still won't turn to Christ... You will go on in your doing wrong. In your filthy living. Nothing is going to change you. That's the impact. God says, I'm closing the canon of scripture. This is my last addition to that, if you please. And I'm telling you what the future holds. There is a hell to fear. Rather, let me say, there is a God to fear. And He's coming back. And the world says, nonsense. A lot of Christians say, nonsense. He says, if you won't believe what I put here in Scripture, the last revelation of mankind written to you, then nothing's going to change you. Nothing's going to change you. And you know what? Is that not true? Really seems to be very true. My, But if you learn the contents of this last written revelation from God and acknowledge it being from God and being truth, then you're going to repent. You're going to live differently. You're going to live righteously, as he says here. You're going to keep yourself holy. You're going to want to grow. And isn't that true? And that's one reason we went through this book was to help us see that, see the glorified Lord and see the unfolding of events and see how close we are to that time and why we want to walk with God and be faithful and grow and serve and bear much fruit because He's coming quickly. And God allows us to make those changes we need to make and be obedient and walk in fellowship with Him. So one's response to this revelation of His coming cements forever their destiny. I've got to confess to you, in the 50 years that I've been a pastor... Some of you didn't know that. When you're only 51, they wonder how in the world could you... Anyway. Huh. I'm just like Jackie. I hate it when they get me, get me up here to sing happy birthday to me. <laughs> Truthfully, I'm not an upfront person. You think I am, but I'm not. I'm an introvert that just functions that way. But getting back to our text here, now I've got to ask where I was. I pastored for 50 years. Our world has changed so dramatically. I remember where people were were sensitive to truth. Heaven and hell was a concern to them. The coming of the Lord was a concern to them. And there's such callousness going on, such hardness of heart, such a turning away from God and anybody that wants to have anything to do with this God that wants to live a righteous life. You're seeing it. And also it's it's, it's declared in scripture that this is what's going to happen. I've said, and I don't understand this, and I just leave it with God, but you've heard me say it, uh, in, in my 21 years here, there's been a number of times where we've talked about the plan of salvation from the pulpit, usually every Sunday, but I've also said to people off and on, look, if you're too embarrassed to come forward, and I understand that people are embarrassed with a crowd of people, they're like me, they're an introvert, I said, I'll come to your house, just let me know, I, and I'll come to your house, and we can, in the privacy of your home, talk what it means to be a Christian, you can become a Christian, be saved, be forgiven, have eternal life, have the you're going to heaven in 21 years nobody has ever taken me up on that nobody I guess I could say I don't have the gift of evangelism alright but I'll tell you and you say well it's the Pacific Northwest well there's truth in that to some degree But, uh, but I think about the conditioning that Satan and his world system has done and is doing we see it He's a master at that. He, uh, If you don't believe that, just consider how far to the left in promoting wickedness and evil and sin we've swung. And you know that. And just consider the conditioning of our children, what they're receiving in the school systems today. from, from That's preschool all the way through graduate college. And the conditioning that they're receiving there. I mean, it's his system. Not that there are not good people in that system being faithful and trying to make a difference, but if that's a challenge, you need to pray for them because that's hard, especially now. If you don't believe it, just go out into the street and ask any teen or anybody up to about the age of 35 what's right and wrong and so forth and see how they respond to you. If you don't believe it, look at what's being promoted on prime time on television and in the theaters. Staggering. If you don't like that, just go to the ads. They're bad enough. Thank God there are individuals that are hearing the gospel. And by the way, I think there's a lot more out of our country, like in China and Iran and places like that where they haven't heard the gospel, than there are where we've been inundated with the gospel and now are rebelling and, and uh, hardened hearts and turning against it. But what does he say? Hear his last words. Hearts are being closed and hardened. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong. And let the one who is filthy still be filthy. And let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness. And the one who is holy still keep himself holy. And I would ask you, which one of those groups are you in? Which one of those groups... You need to answer that. You need to know that factually, firmly. I know which group I'm in. Because your eternal destiny depends on your answer and which one you're really in. In verses 12 and 13, for a second time in this epilogue, the Lord emphasizes that he's coming quickly. But this time he places emphasis on the fact that he's bringing rewards with him. Listen, no one's saved by works. You know, should know that by now from the Scriptures and from my preaching. No one's saved, but you are blessed and rewarded by your faithfulness to the Lord. And here he encourages you and me, even though we might go through great trials. Verse 12, behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward, he adds that to that, my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. By the way, it isn't only the Christian who receives Rewards based on what he has done or not done, his works. And what is he saying to you and me? Invest your life with me then. Walk with me. Grow with me. Serve me. Pay whatever price is necessary now in this vapor before it's gone. Because I'll reward you beyond your wildest imagination. I think we saw that a little bit last week. In Welcome Home, in Revelation 21 and first five verses of Chapter 22, but it's also the unsaved. Now they're going to end up in hell not because of their works, but because they would not receive their only provision, which was made in Jesus Christ and Him alone. That's why they'll end up there. But they, the degree of their punishment, according to Revelation 20:11 through 15, will be based on their works, what they know of Scripture. What they know of truth, how they responded to it, the things they have done, and the effect of those acts, and so forth. That's Revelation 20. So he comes bringing his reward with him. And then, verse 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. (laughs) Jesus is... All that the alphabet is. This is talking about Revelation again. Now, think about that with me. Let's be practical about it. Alpha is a Greek. That's the first letter. Omega is the the last letter. All right. And uh, when he created Adam and Eve, he created them in his image. They had the ability to think, talk, reason gain knowledge, all of that. That's the difference between animals and them. They, they they have a unique relationship with God. And where does this true knowledge come from? It comes from God, who's the Alpha and the Omega. Not only do they have the ability to think, know and reason, it all is from Jesus Christ, but He is also the first and the last, the beginning and end. And And does not Genesis and Revelation teach us that? Where did the world come from? Where did, God always existed? How did sin get, how did man get here? How did sin get here and so forth? And then revelation, how does it all wrap up? And so he gives you that information. And he says here as well, So he was there before creation, and he will be here after creation. It it all began, he began it all, and he will end it all. And that's what he means by, I am the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And we've seen that as we made this journey through these 22 chapters. So perhaps we should take seriously his promise when he writes to us, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man. That means you. That means me, to render every man according as his work shall be. And with the Lord's final promise, he now adds a blessing. And this is the seventh beatitude in the book of Revelation. Verse 14, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. If you have a King James Bible, it says, Blessed are they who do his commandments. Both are right. Again, you don't get saved by keeping his commandments. But if you are saved, you love to obey him. Right? I mean, there's been a change in your heart. Come this afternoon. Be a part of the joy of a testimony that declares that so wonderfully well uh, with Becky. But you do keep his commandments. But also you have washed your robe. It's a matter of the manuscript evidence. It can be one or the other. But you've washed your robes. In fact, in chapter 7, verse 14, let me go back and read that to you, of Revelation it says here, And I said to him, My Lord, you know who these people are. And he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, and they have washed their robes and made them white. wherein the blood of the Lamb. Have you done that? I don't mean have you come out of great tribulation. I mean have you washed your robe in the blood of the Lamb? Have you made him your Savior, your Lord? And then he concludes... This revelation of future events to John, he once again contrasts the eternal state of the righteous with that of the unrighteous, the one who still does wrong and still is filthy. Look at verse 15. Outside of the dogs. That's a real despicable term, by the way, in the Bible. And the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. Do not put that in the millennium. This is the eternal state. What does he mean by outside? He tells you in chapter 2015, they're in the lake of fire. He just categorizes, and and he emphasizes, notice how he wraps up, the ones who love, those who love and practice lying. Either you love and practice the truth, or you love and practice lying. Who is the liar but the one that denies that Jesus is Christ? The Son of God. Your only hope. You make him a liar, and you live that kind of a life. That is, every unsaved person is in that category. Don't look at that and say, Oh, you know what, I'm not a dog. I'm not a sorcerer. I try to be a moral person. I'm certainly not a murderer, and I'm not an idolatry, and so, okay... Oh, the last one got you. If you don't love the Lord Jesus Christ and belong to Him, then you love and pray. Why? Because Romans says the truth is in you trying to come up. It's trying to come up. And what are you doing? He created you that way, dear ones. And you're in your intellect and your pride are suppressing the truth. No, no, no. I don't believe that. I don't want to accept that. You're trying to push it down and God, the Holy Spirit, is trying to bring it up because He created you in His image. And boy, will he ever confirm that when you stand before him. Well, that's the Lord's final promise. And three times he says that down in verse 20. Yes, I am coming quickly. That brings us to the Lord's final invitation. Did you get that? Final. In written scripture. End of all revelation, written revelation. The whole Bible. The final invitation from God. Verses 16 and 17. I, Jesus, well, that sounds pretty important. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. And those are the seven churches of Revelation and all that got saved through their ministry, which means you and me today. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears Say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. The Lord's final invitation. Number one, His invitation is rooted in His final revelation. His invitation here is rooted in His final revelation. Verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to what? Testify to you these things. What things? Can you answer that? The whole book of Revelation. And by the way, now you can add the whole scripture. All of it. So he roots it in his final revelation. In verse 21. 22 verse 21 The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we will let that go. Get that later. So the Lord is going to invite those who hear and read this book and learn of His contents to respond to Him and turn their heart and life over to Him. And by the way, many do. Many go through Revelation. They hear messages out of Revelation. And they get scared. They get concerned. They learn things they've never seen before about the coming of the Lord and the final end time and all that. And they get saved. And we thank God for that. And maybe you're here this morning. This will be your day of salvation. I don't know. If you're unsaved, I hope it will be. And... uh by the way, this is the first time, look at uh, verse 17. The Spirit, well, wait. we have to do verse 16 first. Um, number two. This invitation or His invitation is rooted in His person. If Jesus is going to give the invitation, it's rooted in who He is. He declares, I am the root of David. I am the root and the descendant of David. You know what? There's two things about that. To be David's root means you had to exist before David existed. But then to be his descendant means what? (laughs) You had to come after him. This is a term of deity here. He is the one who was before David, made him king, and he came through the lineage of David. So you're talking about the God-man, the one who was born of the Virgin Mary. So that is a term of deity that we're given there. And then secondly, by the way, it is the title that shows his tie with Israel, David's seed. And through the book of Revelation, I hope you've seen that, that he did not give up on the Jew. There's a remnant that does get saved that does enter into that millennial reign with him. But notice secondly, Jesus declares, I am the bright morning star. This basically is a reference to Venus. Venus. You look at the commentaries, that's the that's star they would see, the bright one at the dark in the earliest part of the morning there. But it's an interesting thing, though, because there's another one that comes along that claims that title, and that's Lucifer that we know as Satan, and he is sometimes called the day star. But what did the day start? He tried to bring in the dawn, didn't he? But what did he do? He brought in darkness. And finally, he has his last opportunity as God restrains and pulls his hands back. And he has his one world government there for seven years. But he still utterly, miserably fails and brings in utter darkness. For 6,000 years, Satan has tried to bring the dawn. It's only resulted in darkness. And now the true day star, the morning star is coming. And he will indeed bring in the glorious dawn of the new day. Remember the wise men said to Herod, we have seen his star in the east. And the Lord said to those who have come in the church at Thyatira, I will give you the morning star. Evidently saw by giving them himself. And he did. And to you as well if you're redeemed. But then the Holy Spirit is the author of this last written revelation to man that we call the book of Revelation. And what does He say? He says, come. Come. Notice that in verse 17. The Spirit and the bride say... Come. Now listen, that could be taken in two ways. One is, first, the Holy Spirit, do you think He wants the Lord Jesus Christ to come and wrap all this up and reenter into His glory and have you, His bride, home with glorified bodies and finally have Satan put away and all the demons put away and now it's the eternal state of glory? Do you think the Holy Spirit wants that? My Bible says He makes intercession for us in Romans chapter 8. And so maybe He's saying even to the Lord, come, come. Now I know He's God. He knows all things, but indeed that might be the case. But secondly, obviously, because He's the author of Scripture and He's one who commits a sin of righteousness and judgment, He wants unsaved people. He wants you, if you're here this morning and not put your, turned your heart over, He wants you to come. He wants you to escape eternal hell and the lake of fire he wants you to be the lord jesus christ love gift from the father yes he all over the world people are getting saved today and you might be one of them this morning here and bless it and praise god if you are and so he says come but also you'll note the bride says come and i'll tell you i don't know what's in your heart now there's a part of me that's a little nervous about the lord coming uh, you know, there's uh, there's sin in me. Alright, there's a sin nature in me. Alright, there's a sinful flesh in me. Whatever you want to call it. And, I'm a, and I'll bet you're just like me. You're a little bit nervous. You want Him to come, but at the same time, you think, well, I'd like to be to have some things change and I'd like to be on top of this and that and do it. You know, I don't know. That's just, I think it's, it's, it's an understandable thing. And yet still, deep in my heart, I have to tell you, maybe it's because of my age. Who knows? Because you don't meet too many 20-year-olds that say, Oh, I'm looking for the Lord. Please come, Lord. You know, please come. I've heard of people that got married and said, Please come, Lord. But that's different, you know. Dear ones, somewhere in your heart, there has to be that desire of finally being in His presence with no sin in you and realize that He's not going to condemn you for sin. Not that you should walk in sin. But he dealt with sin. There's a reward issue here, of course. But it's precious that you want the Lord to come. You want to be home with Him. You want to wrap this wicked scene up. And if it's not now, I'll tell you what. And by the way, the people are so satisfied and complacent in the United States because of everything they've got and things are fairly good. I mean, they can go watch the, the uh, Seahawks win their game, you know, and uh, and hope for the get in the Super Bowl. And uh, life is fairly good. You can go home and have a nice meal and you got your plans. And basically they're working out. And so there's a tendency not, I tell you what, if you were in a place where you're being severely persecuted, your heart would be crying out, Lord, please come, please come, please come. Again, that's one reason why we went through this book. So the bride, that's you and me, that's the redeemed. We're saying to a lost world, not only to the Lord we want to come back, we're saying that to Him, but we're saying it to a lost world, and that's what we're doing this morning, are we not? And we'll leave here, and we'll work with people, we'll go to school with people, we'll live with people around us, and we're saying, come, come, please, we want you to be saved. I don't want you to discover when you die that you're standing before a holy God and going to be cast into hell. I don't want that. Please, come! And then he goes on here Notice that he says in verse uh, 17, Let the one who hears, again, they didn't have a lot of copies, so it would be read and they hear this, Whoa, that is amazing stuff I read in Revelation. You just read to me. Oh man, Lord, come, please come. And they're saying to the people around, Please come, come, get saved. And let the one who is thirsty come. Are you thirsty this morning? Not for coffee, not for pop, not for water, not for tea. We're talking about thirsty for the Lord. Come. Come. Remember, the Lord stood there in John 7, and he said, in uh, that, uh, that feast, he said, If anybody thirsts, let him come to me, for out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. That speaks of the joy of salvation. And thus he speaks of the Holy Spirit, who they would receive later on. So those are thirsty, and then he said, let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. There's no price here. This isn't a work of Salvation. God said, it costs me everything, but I offer to you free. All you have to do is thirst and come. That's what he says. And that brings us to the final part of our outline. We'll go very quickly. We've seen the Lord's, well, there's two more parts. The Lord's final promise, the Lord's final invitation, and now the Lord's final warning. The Lord's final warning, warning. And boy, is it ever needed. Verses 18 and following. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will also take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. Remember, this is how he's ending all of written revelation to mankind. God's final words. Number one, the solemn warning to the one who adds to this final revelation from God. The solemn Warning to the one who adds to this final revelation from God. These are God's words provided in writing through God the Holy Spirit, who in this case chose to use an angel to give a great portion of its contents to the Apostle John to write down for us the church. But how do I know that this really is from God and not really from man? I know because it has been attested by the early fathers... As having come and been written by the apostle John, the last remaining apostle. I know because I can compare it with the Old Testament prophets, what they have written, as well as what the apostles, Matthew, Paul, and others have written, and it confirms it. I am told the church was built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets that lived in the first century when the church was first born by the Holy Spirit. That's the foundation. These are the men who wrote Scripture, the New Testament. These are the men who along with other men who were close to these apostles such as Mark and Luke and gave us the written word of God we call the New Testament. So when someone comes along many years later and says they received more revelation from God that they had to put in writing to pass on to you and me, I know it is not Scripture. Do you? Do you? I know it's not Scripture. It is not inspired by God, because whatever they declared it to be from God, I would have to compare with what I already have from God, and therefore I don't need it. And God is not giving us new revelation that He's holding us responsible for that He never gave to the church before. And it makes sense when you come to the end of Revelation, it really does complete the Bible, doesn't it? Does it not, folks? You get there, you say, wow, that is a completion of the Bible. That's the capstone of the whole thing. That wraps it up. Tells us everything God wanted us to know. So what does this mean? Listen. Now, I may lose my head over this. It means the writings of Muhammad. The Quran, is not from God. And we are here to graciously, humbly proclaim that. Where does the Koran lead? To damnation. Because it rejects Jesus as being truly God who died for the sin. It means that the writings of Joseph Smith called the Book of Mormon are not from God. And yet, man, are they busy proselyting getting everybody to believe that it is. Here's one guy said, he said, well, I believe you pray the Holy Spirit, read the Book of Mormon, you'll find God wrote that. It means the writings of L. Ron Hubbard, the Scientology. It means the writings of Mary Baker, Glover, Patterson, Eddy, Christian Science. And all the other writings that people declare to be from God and to be inspired in Scripture and must be added to the Bible are not from God. This is the complete canon of Scripture. You better trust that or you're going to get in deep trouble. Let me add to that. Not only will more prophets be raised that will be writing more scripture, supposedly, they'll also be performing miracles, and they'll be real miracles. Matthew 24, they'll be real miracles, and the world will run after them. Sadly to say, a lot of the church, I'm afraid, will as well. If possible, even to deceive the elect, Jesus said. So this is a concern. By the way, how might he add the plagues to such a person who adds to his word? Since, after all, they've been doing this for centuries and we're not in the tribulation yet. Well, perhaps this has to do with the eternal state and the judgment of that lake of fire. I'll leave that in God's hands because I don't have a full answer to that. Number two, the solemn warning to the one who takes away from the final revelation of God. Verse 19, now that comes with an impact the one who takes away this is a person who deliberately takes away from what god has revealed to john and had him write down to the churches but it's also the rest of scripture as well and listen the world is full of them they reject the written word of god they're what we call the liberals And in one sense, they're far more deadly and dangerous than the ones who add to it. Why? Because at least when they add to it, you at least got still this. But when you take away, you no longer even have this. And what are the two books they attack the most? Genesis. I don't believe in a literal creation. I don't believe in God who always pre-existed. I don't believe that man was born perfect and fell into sin. I don't believe in Satan and all that stuff. They attack the book of Genesis and they teach and teach and teach evolution and on it goes. That's taken away from the scriptures, dear one. And what else? They go clear to the Book of Revelation. What does it say there? The Lord is coming back. He's coming back in power and glory. The Lord is going to come back and take control of this world. It tells about a hell to fear and shun, a God to shun as well, and all of that. And they said we don't believe that. See, they take it away. Wow. There's no God that you're accountable to who will, you'll stand before. There's no judgment before him and so forth. Very deadly, very dangerous. And it's all over the place today. Well, that brings us to the conclusion here. John's final response to this revelation from God, verses 20 and 21. He who testifies to these things says, "Here's the Lord, Yes, I am coming quickly. About the last words in the Bible. Third time in the epilogue. Yes, I am coming quickly. Here's John's response. His earnest heartfelt prayer. Number one, his earnest heartfelt prayer. prayer. Amen. That means so, so be it. Let it have it. Bring it on, Lord. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Now listen. Think for a moment. Where is John when he writes this? Where is he? Somebody tell me. He's on Isle of Patmos. He's in his 90s, probably. He's a slave, if you please, of Rome out there working in the mines, whatever he could, 90 years of age. And uh, he had walked with the Lord before the Lord was glorified when he came in his human life, nature, and all that. He walked with him as he was doing his public ministry for three and one half years. I mean, this was a precious time for John. He was very, very close to him. And now he sees him glorified because he obviously he was there at the crucifixion. He was there when he, uh, at the resurrection, the Lord appeared to him. And and this is precious to him. Now he's 90 some years old, he's on the Isle of Patmos and he sees all this unfold the Lord in his glory. I remember he saw him. He talked with him. He sees how it's all going to unfold. No wonder his heart cries out. This old man says, Lord Amen! Come! Come! That's the heart God wants all of us to have. And then he wraps it up. Number two is pronouncement of grace upon the churches. Isn't an amazing God amazing grace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with all. That's how he wraps up this revelation from God. That's how the Bible wraps up the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with all. You know what? Here it is almost 2000 years later. I'm a recipient of that grace and I'm so thankful. Oh, I am so thankful that I know the Lord. I am so thankful I have His written word. I'm thankful I have the encouragement of my brothers and sisters who bring me and encourage me as I go along in life as well. That's how he wraps all this up. What great encouragement. This letter from God, this final revelation from God, this capstone of our Bible would have been to those seven churches John delivered this letter to. And what an encouragement it was designed by God to be to you and me. May our hearts join John's by continually expressing to our Lord and Savior, Come, Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, Well, we've gone through the book, the last book of the Bible, we've looked now at your final words to us. How precious we are in your sight, Lord Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, right now, thank you for authoring the Scriptures. Thank you for authoring our salvation. Thank you for bringing us together. The blessing we've had uh, in this church of growing together, of serving you together, of worshiping you together. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for the encouragement we have from that. And thank you that we know and believe in our heart that indeed you, Lord Jesus Christ, are soon to come back. And when you do, you'll take us home to yourself. If not, Lord, our days will end and immediately we'll go into your presence and what glory will be there for us. It's amazing what you've prepared for us. We've seen that. And yet, Lord, we live in a wicked, evil, fallen world with people all around us that need to get saved. They don't know. They're blind. That's wicked God of this world Satan has blinded their minds and hearts and he's had good soil to work with with their mind and heart Lord has been so programmed by his system and by the fallenness of man and yet Lord somehow some way you're able to break through all that and, and cause him to see you and cry out my Lord and my God I pray that Lord we pray that may we be faithful here whether it be Sunday school or Awana or the preaching service, or the different ministries we're involved in, or as we go out the doors of this church and we're in our neighborhood where we live, or it might be our loved ones, our relatives, or Father, it's where we go to school, it's where we work, it's where we play. All these places, they're unsaved people. And oh God, may we be faithful to bear you up before them, to share you and your written word. Because the word is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword dividing to the soul and marrow and heart and mind. And Father, we just ask that you would mightily use that word in our lives and in the lives of these people. Father, as I'm going to be leaving now, that's the plan for a month. I pray for protection for the flock here. I know some are very close to going home to be with you and they may go before I come back. And Lord, that's all right. They're ready. They love you, they belong to you. But I pray that the body will be protected. Let not the enemy come in and destroy and scatter. Be with our elders, Lord, and encourage them, strengthen them, give them discernment, let them be men of prayer. In fact, let the whole body of Christ here be a body of prayer. I pray, Father, for my dear wife, you'll be with her, give her the strength and wisdom she needs in especially dealing with her aged mother. And Father, may I be a servant that will go forth and do your work and represent this body of believers because Lord, we love and minister to Sham and Paul and their children. We love Pastor Ben and Nong and Bible Church Thailand. We're involved with the orphanage as well as the Bible College and the church over in Nepal. May I then represent these dear people, but most of all, may I represent them, may I represent you, I mean, for them. So use me as a humble servant, I pray And we thank you. And we'll say with John, Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And all God's people said, Amen.